Well, turn your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Mark, chapter 4. You know, in Scripture, Jesus said over and over again, let everyone that has an ear to hear, let him hear. For he said that, um, take heed how you hear, for the measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear is the measure of virtue and power you'll get from it. It says the measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear is the measure of virtue and power you'll get from it. I will be very particular um, on the things that I hear the Lord repeating over and over again because it means that it's important. You know, for a few months now, we've been talking about the heart of it all, the heart of it all, and we've really spent some time on this, and I believe we've done so by the leading of the Holy Spirit, um, and that's because the Lord wants to put emphasis where emphasis needs to be placed. Amen. Because the Bible says that if the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Uh, it means the righteous has to go back and build their foundation again. Because if you don't have a secure and solid foundation, um, then everything you build on it will crumble. Uh, and what we've learned over the last few months is that um, the, there are certain things that will prevent the word from being productive in our lives. Uh, and God doesn't determine that. We do. Amen. He, he makes sure that we get the word. I say he makes sure we get the word. Amen. The Bible says the sower sows the word. If the Lord loves you, then it means that he's going to bless you. And the way he blesses you is that he will make sure you get the word. He says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts higher than your ways. But I'm not going to leave you where you are. He says, as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and doesn't return, but waters the earth, and causes it to bring forth and bud, so shall my word be. So I'm not going to leave you where you are. I want to make sure you are productive. I want to make sure you are fruitful. So I am going to send you my word. Amen. The Bible says that blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for what? They shall be filled. To the measure of your hunger is the measure to which God will send you his word. Amen. Okay? So he's going to send you his word. But then he goes on in Mark chapter 4 to say, you know what? That word is not productive by itself. I will send you my word. The Bible says God gives seed to whom? The sower. I will give you seed. If you desire me, I will come to you with my word. But the productivity on the, of that word in your life is not determined by me. It is determined by you. And that's why we spend a lot of time looking at the parable of the soils. The parable of the soils. Let's go straight to Mark chapter 4 verse 18. We've looked at different kinds of soil or different kinds of heart. Um, if your heart is hard, you will not produce. The word will not produce in your life. And we've looked at the solution to a hard hat. And then we, we looked at stony ground. But then in verse 18, uh, he says, Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones that hear the word. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So there are certain things that if they are planted in your heart, will grow up. And they will choke the word, the productivity of the word. So what does Jesus have on his mind here? He wants you to uproot the thorns. Say to your neighbor, he wants you to uproot the thorns. Because Jesus wants us to be productive. 
The very first thing God said to humanity, said to you and I in Adam, was be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and have dominion. Have dominion. So these are the things that aim to take over our hearts and make us ineffective, but God wants us to be effective. I'll read um, uh, Mark 4, 19 again, but this time from the New Living Translation. Jesus said, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. No fruit. Everyone say no fruit. Say it again, no fruit. He says that if you sow thorns in your heart, uh, what will happen is the thorns are the cares of this life and the layers, the layer of riches and the desire for other things. Once you sow those things in your heart with the word, they will spring and grow up and they will crowd out the word of God. Uh, say to your neighbor, don't crowd out the word of God. So here we're talking about the sedu seductive nature of wealth or the lure of the lure of wealth. It says the lure of wealth will choke the word and the lust for other things. And two weeks ago when I continued uh, the series, uh, we examined how anything in your life, anything that is a desire can become a lust. A lust. A lust is not just when we desire something that the word has forbidden. A lust is not just when we desire something that the word has forbidden. You know, desiring somebody else's wife or car. Um, desiring, um, you know, to, to, to lie or to feel that, you know, you have to deceive. Yeah? Or, or it's not just when you desire something that is forbidden. We examine and explain the fact that anything in your life can become a lost once it has a higher priority in your heart than the Lord. Anything can become a lost once it has a higher priority in your life than the Lord. Now look at um, the book of Matthew chapter 6. And you know, as we go through this message this morning, I want you to bear in mind that God has your productivity on his heart. He, he wants you to be productive. Yeah, he's not saying any of these things uh, to cramp your style. Let me start from verse 31. It says, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It said, seek first the kingdom of God. Everyone say first. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know, first speaks about priority, doesn't it? It speaks about priority. Seek first, make your priority 
the advance of the kingdom of God and his interests. Make the kingdom way of doing things your priority. Notice it didn't say seek first the kingdom and then seek second the other things. No, he says seek first the kingdom. Make the kingdom way your priority in all things. Don't be like the Gentiles who seek things. Never make the seeking of things your focus. Seek Him. Seek His way of doing things. Seek purpose. Seek to deliver the greatest value you can with the grace you have been given. As you make progress, give him credit. Be a witness for him at every opportunity. And as you seek the kingdom first and seek the advancement of the kingdom and seek God's way of doing things in all things, then all these things will be added to you. Be a kingdom person, the Bible says. Seek first the kingdom. And his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You know, the Bible makes it very clear in the book of Psalms, chapter 36, if you read verses 7 to 9, it says, With him, that is with Jesus, is the fountain of life. And he, that is Jesus, wants to make you drink of that fountain. But he must have the attention of your heart. Psalm 36 verse 7 says, How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. And you will give them drink from the river of your pleasures, for with you is the fountain of life. Everyone say, with Jesus is the fountain of life. Say to your neighbor, he wants to make you drink of the rivers of his pleasures. But in order to drink of these rivers, you must seek him first. You must seek his way of doing things. Because if you don't, you know, nature abhors a vacuum. If your heart is not focused on him and advancing his cause and seeking his way of doing things alone, um, the lure of the seduction of wealth will take over your heart. Amen. It is seductive. It creeps up on you. You can't resist it in your own power. You must seek him first and seek him alone. Because... With him is the fountain of life. You know, uh, you can't read scripture and not get the fact that God desires your prosperity and desires your advancement. But he wants you to have true prosperity where you have more than enough and you have impact in eternity. Because what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, reading Isaiah 48, verse 17, God was speaking to his people. 
He says, thus says the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit. I am the Lord who leads you in the way that you should go. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river. Your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your descendants also would have been like the sand. And the offspring of your body like the grains of sand. His name will not be cut off nor destroyed from before me. You know, that is true prosperity. Peace, joy, having more than enough. Your family loving you and applauding your, your leadership, uh, uh, your parenthood, your community, giving thanks to God for your life. He said, this is what I want to lead you to. This is the kind of life I want you to, you, to live and to enjoy. But I must be priority. My way, my way of doing things, my purpose must engulf your heart. Because no one can serve two masters, Matthew 6 24 says, your heart cannot be a slave to two masters. You would either love one and hate the other. Um, you would give yourself to one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Like I said a few weeks ago, the word um, serve is the Greek word doulos, which speaks about a slave. Your heart will be a slave to one person. Because a slave is somebody who does not have control over his own life. A slave is someone who must give his master exclusive loyalty. Is one who is completely at the disposal of another. So imagine a slave is, is working on something and the master says, no, leave what you're doing and go over there. The slave doesn't argue. The slave doesn't say, don't you understand how important what I'm doing is? Uh, the slave doesn't say, don't you see that I must feed my family? Shandai. Does that mean that you shouldn't feed your family? Of course you should. But your master wants you to feed your family. Uh, are you with me? But the way your family is going to be fed is when you follow him. Anything that is a legitimate desire can become a lost. Once it takes the place of God in your heart. Jesus must be first. The kingdom must be first. Otherwise, no matter how legitimate your excuse is, your heart is going to become a slave of the world system. Amen. Look at what he said in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Hallelujah. It says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, now, this is not a blessing or a curse. It's just reality. Jesus is giving us insight into the true state of things. He's saying, do not be deceived. 
If I am not the Lord of your heart, if there is anybody, actually let me read from the Amplified before I explain this a little bit. Hallelujah. You know, we have been praying for, for revelation. If you've been for any of our prayer meetings on um, Sunday morning or Thursday evening, one of the key things we pray about is what? Is revelation. I know God answers prayer. Now, now revelation is when you see things the way God sees them. So you see your job the way God sees it. You see your family the way God sees it. That's what revelation truly is. Revelation shows you the way God sees your life. Okay? So when we pray for revelation, let me tell you what is going to happen. All of a sudden you'll realize circumstances will arise in your life that will show you where your true priorities lie. And you know, the first time you receive revelation of what is really going on in your life is not the first time God knew about it. He's just in his mercy, just showing you what the true state of things is. So circumstances will arise that will show you the, the true state of things. In order for us to be fruitful, Jesus must be Lord of our lives, Lord of our time, Lord of our decision making, Lord of our priorities. And if he isn't Lord, he will reveal to you in the circumstances of life the fact that he isn't Lord at the moment. Amen. And that is a manifestation of his mercy because he wants you to make those corrections. Verse 37 says, he who loves and takes more pleasure in father or mother more than in me is not worthy of me. And he who loves and takes more pleasure in son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow me, cleaves steadfastly to me, conforming wholly to my example in living and if need be in dying is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his lower life will lose it, the higher life. Whoever loses his lower life on my account will find it, the higher life. So what is on Jesus' mind for you to find the higher life, isn't it? But in order to find the higher life, you must lose what? The lower life. And the lower life is a life of self-preservation. It's a life of self. It's a life where you are protecting your own self-interest. Is a life where it is possible for other people to be the Lord of your life apart from him. Hallelujah. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. The Lord must be first in all things. You know, next, next week I'm going to give you a lot of different examples in scripture. But I think at this point I should remind you about what happened to um, Abraham and Isaac. You know, the Lord blessed Abraham with Isaac, didn't he? But then the Lord came to Abraham and said, I want you to sacrifice your son. So that which the Lord had blessed him with could very easily become an idol. Yeah? And, you know, imagine God gives you a car, gives you a job, or gives you a child, or gives you a wife. And he says, you know, I, I'm going to demand something from you that will require to, you to be away for your, from your wife for a bit. So I know, Jesus, I cast you down. Or away from your husband for a bit. Or your kids might be away from you for a bit. Wow. Hallelujah. 
You know, when the Lord, when the Lord tested Abraham, and Abraham demonstrated that he was the Lord of his life in all things, Abraham's life expanded. You know, Abraham and Isaac went up to that mountain together. And they came down together. But you know, it was clear to Abraham and to Isaac when they came down that mountain that the Lord was between them. You know, if, if um, Isaac had had the illusion that he was the Lord of Abraham's life, that whole mountain scene showed him that, you know, there is somebody that is Lord over my father. Uh, are you with me? Yeah? Jesus must be the Lord of your life. He's more important than your father, your mother, your husband, your wife, your children. Now, if, you, if, you, if he is truly the Lord of your life, he will lead you and your family into true life. Because it is his life and his productivity for your life that he has on his heart. Praise the Lord. Look at James chapter 4, verse 1. James chapter 4, verse 1. Look at what happens when we don't do this. It says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lost. You lost and you don't have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. You know, this is what will happen. Um, this is what will creep up on you when Christ is not the Lord of your life. When your heart is not seeking the kingdom. Kingdom purpose and kingdom way of doing things. It might be shocking for you to realize that this letter of James was written to Christians. You would think it was writing to the world, but if you read James chapter 1, you would see that this letter was written to the brethren who were scattered abroad by persecution. Now, how does a Christian come into a place where his heart is covetous and he is willing to bribe and steal, yet come into church and lift up his holy hands? How can a Christian get to this point where all they are asking for from God in times of prayer and petition is things that would luxuriate their life of lusting. So you have put this thing ahead of God in your time, in your priority, in your energy, and you come to him to ask you to bless you with more of it. And on the inside, you don't feel any conflict. What would get a Christian to this place? I believe it is purely because our hearts are not consumed by him and therefore we give into the lure, the seduction of the ways of darkness. It is seductive. It happens step by step. It is incremental. You know, you should, um, on YouTube, you should watch, um, there's this incredible video on YouTube by a social psychologist called Philip Zimbardo, called the Lucifer Effect. The Lucifer Effect. Go watch it. And he did this study of 
how good people end up doing evil things. You know, we pray, you get the job, you get promoted. In fact, the government calls you and you end up in Rock, And then we don't hear from you anymore. And whenever we see you on television and you are speaking, we hear you telling lies. And we think, isn't that brother so so and so? In fact, I, remember, I was in church when they prophesied on him. You need to go watch the Lucifer effect. Because it, 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 good people are capable of doing evil things. It is not just the bad apple. It can be the good apple in the bad barrel that corrupts the apple. It can be the bad barrel makers. Uh, are you with me? But it all, and, and it doesn't happen, I mean, I, I don't have time to go into it, but just go watch that video. But one of the things they learned was that um, you can get anybody to do incredibly evil things. And one of the key things you need to do is make sure the evil is incremental. Yeah, incremental. Yeah, don't just give them the full whack. Incremental. Yeah, and make sure you start with a, with a, with a good lie, like national security. Okay, but I really don't have time for it. Go watch that. Now, the reason why it is possible for a Christian to become as corrupt and self-absorbed as the rest of the world is when they, they haven't trained their hearts to follow God and follow his priority and his way of doing things all the time. So we must begin by training our hearts. We must begin by training our hearts to prevent the planting of thorns or to uproot any thorns that currently exist because you know what, if you just ignore those thorns, as the word is planted in your heart and continues to grow, those thorns will grow as well and they will choke the word and will make it unproductive. So we need to enroll in heart training. We need to train our hearts. And God who loves you and is leading you would lead you through circumstances where your heart will be trained. Say to your neighbor, God is going to lead you through circumstances that will give you the opportunity for your heart to be trained. If you don't learn the lesson, he will enroll you in the same course again because he loves you. Some of you are saying, no, 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 no. It's because he loves you. Look at um, the, Luke 16. Let us look at some of these things. You know, this, these things are important. These things are important. We want to be fruitful. And I want to be fruitful like the rest of them. But what's the point of being fruitful when you've got thorns in your heart? They're going to choke the word. Yeah, your fruitfulness is going to be hampered. So he wants us to walk on our hearts. He wants us to focus on our hearts. Hallelujah. Look at Luke 16. Yeah, there's no way to start apart from this. This is where you start. And revelation will, will, will come to show you the true state of things. You know, one of the prayers I learned many years ago to pray over my life, uh, and I actually learned it from uh, um, Rick Joyner, the writer of um, The Final Quest, and he, he used to pray this prayer, so I, I you know, essentially stole it from him. 
And he said, he used to pray this prayer that God, show me the level of my present deception regarding what I know. You know, because we think we know, don't we? He said, Lord, show me the level of my present deception. So give me true revelation about the true state of my life. I know I'm accepted in him. I know he loves me. I know I'm going to heaven. But, but I need revelation concerning the true state of my life. Show me my true condition. Let me go through your judgment before I stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I think it is great mercy when God judges you now and brings revelation concerning his judgment before you get there. Because guess what? When you get there, you can't correct it. So I've been praying, Lord, show me the level of my present deception regarding what I know. Look at Luke 16, verse 10. Just before he talks about, okay, yes, let's read, let's read from verse 9, no, no, verse 10. He says, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you or to your trust the true riches? If you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve who? God and mammon. Now, who do you think Jesus wants us to serve? He wants us to serve God, doesn't he? Because that is the key to our fruitfulness. Because it's with him that the fountain of life exists. Now, he's saying that in order to ensure that you serve me and you don't serve mammon, I am going to lead you through a path where I will give you the opportunity to train your heart to focus on me. It is called the path of faithfulness. Everyone say the path of faithfulness. So God is going to lead you through this path because this path is going to help you or give you the opportunity to train your heart to make him the Lord of your heart at all times. Are you with me? Now, it is not up to God to make you faithful. Do you know, God cannot make you faithful, just like God cannot make you humble. Yeah? I mean, when you pray the prayer, God, give me patience. He doesn't just throw patience at you, does he? What the Lord will do, he will he, listen and will answer your prayer. And he would connect you with somebody that tries your patience. That, that's, that's revelation right there. Might be a husband or wife. Be careful if you pray that prayer before you're married. Because the Lord might won't bless you. God give me patience. What he will do is he would lead you through a situation that requires patience. And when you exercise yourself in the word, in that situation, guess what happens? The fruit of patience will develop on the inside of you. Yeah? God, make me humble. The Lord doesn't make people humble. What he does 
is he will lead you through a situation where you have the opportunity to exercise humility. Are you with me? Okay, good. So, in order, if you pray the prayer, Lord, I want to seek you. I want to seek your kingdom. I, I want to I live the life of God. I want to be fruitful. I want to experience your fruitfulness. You know what he will do? He will lead you through a path where you have the opportunity to be faithful. Because when you are faithful and focusing on him, you will keep your heart secure and you will keep him the Lord of your life. Now here, he outlines three levels of faithfulness. He says, he that is faithful in least is also faithful in much. He that is faithful in least is also faithful in much. God will use the little to help you train in the area of faithfulness. Are you faithful with the little that you currently have in your hand? Does the work of your hand speak about you and speak about the excellence of your life? You know, sometimes we reserve our faithfulness until we have a big project that has the potential of um, making you 30 million naira. But he says he's going to look at your faithfulness. He's going to use the list to help you train in faithfulness. Hallelujah. You know, the greatest temptation is experienced when you have very little. Yes, there is a different kind of temptation for the wealthy. But there is a temptation when you have little not to be faithful. Because, I mean, what's the point? Look at the job I have. How much money is it? It's not even enough for anything. So why should I be faithful? No, God is going to lead you through that path to train you to trust him when you have little in your hand. Amen. Because he who is faithful in little, what little do you have in your hand right now? What little responsibility have you been given? I thank God for the, for the people that we have serving in this church. And this is not the reason why I'm saying this, but I thank God for the people we have serving in this church. We have a lot of people who do not serve in any capacity. Because in their hearts, they don't see it as important enough, or they feel they don't have the time. Or they might be given little responsibility, but they're not faithful in it. And this is not a church where we would curse you or threaten you with the Lord cursing you. We allow you to show what is in your heart. Amen. And we trust that through the light of God's revelation, as you are doing that work, the Lord will reveal to you what your true heart condition is. And where needed, you will repent and you will be faithful in little. You must be faithful in little. You are training your heart. Amen. Does the work of your hands speak about the excellence of God? What does the work of your hands say about you? The responsibilities that the Lord has allowed you to have. When you are faithful and little, you are uprooting thorns from your heart. 
and you are preventing new thorns, new value systems, devilish value systems from being rooted in your heart. The value systems that, you know, I will not be faithful unless they give me much. No, I am faithful because I love God and he knows what he has given to me and I, and I treasure what he has put in my hand and I serve him in being faithful in the execution of it. He said, if you are faithful in little, you'll be faithful, you'll be not, you'll be faithful in much. If you're unfaithful in little, you'll be unfaithful in much. And then he goes on to say, if you are faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you the true riches? Wow. Is there anyone that doesn't want true riches here? Because I could pray for, I can cast this kind of prayer, I can, I can cast this kind of demons away. I have authority over those kind of things. Everybody wants true riches. And the Lord wants you to have true riches. But it says, if you are not faithful in unrighteous mammon. Unrighteous mammon is issues about money. The money test is where a lot of people fail. Say to your neighbor, the money test. Make sure you look them in the eye. If they're not paying attention, tap them. And say, the money test is where a lot of people fail. Because if you are not faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you the true riches? You know, I read the story of Rockefeller. I talked about it here a few weeks ago. And he made the statement. I mean, he was the first billionaire, I believe, that was, that was ever recorded. He was the first oil billionaire. And he made the statement. He said, I never would have been able to tithe the first million dollars I ever made if I had not tithed my first salary, which was $1.50 per week. Now, $1.50 was not his tithe. It was what? His salary. But with the little, the unrighteous mammon, and he, 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 he was trained that way because his parents trained him that way. And he trained his heart by being faithful, even though the $1.50 was not enough. But he, he, it's about your heart. Everyone say it's about your heart. And because he, he was trained and he was faithful in unrighteous mammon, when he made billions, he was faithful in it. Amen. If you read the story of Rockefeller, you see that at the end of the life, he wanted to give all, all he had away. And he actually extended his life by 20 years. All right? He says, if you are not faithful right now with your money, if you are not honoring God consistently, sacrificially in your money, who is going to commit to you the true riches? Definitely not God. Amen. Now, what are the true riches? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. When the Bible talks about true riches, is it just talking about more money? Is the richest person in the world truly rich? I don't think so. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12. Paul is speaking here. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me what? Say again, he counted me what? He counted me what? He counted me faithful 
putting me in the ministry. When we talk about the ministry, we are talking about the opportunity to serve the purpose or the eternal purpose of God. We're talking about the opportunity to make an eternal impact. True riches is when God, by his grace, gives you the opportunity to enter into a place of service where you serve eternal impact, where you have significance that goes beyond time into eternity. But if you are not faithful in unrighteous mammon, the desire and the, the, the lust for wealth will consume your heart and you will never be given the true riches, the opportunity to impact eternity. Some of us are going to impact eternity with our lives. And it is the plan of God that all of us impact eternity with our lives. But if you live to be wealthy, you're not going to impact eternity with your life because your heart and your life will all be about wealth, not about the advancements of the kingdom. And you will not be given, because you are not faithful, you will not be enabled to serve in a place where you will receive eternal significance. So when you step out of your body and he receives you into heaven, you are going to get into heaven without anything to show for your life. Amen. Hallelujah. He says, if you are faithful. You, you know, we all know about Bill Gates and know he's one of the richest men in the world. But I believe that if Bill hadn't worked on his heart, on his heart priorities when he was a young entrepreneur, he would not be in a position right now where with the control of billions, he's looking to alleviate uh, poverty and, and, and destroy sicknesses that have plagued the world for millions of, or hundreds of years. Is it every billionaire that wants to give their money away? Absolutely not. Are you, are you with me? There are some people that, that are wealthier than Bill who all they want to do is to make more money. You know, every person that has been saved as a result of the works of that man would send resounding praise to their heavenly father. Every meningitis patient, every polio patient that has been healed because of the works of that man. I believe that that is entering to true riches. I really do. Where God by his mercy and by his grace allows you to come into a place where you begin to fulfill purpose and do things that impact people's lives and causes praise and causes deliverance and even causes the gospel the opportunity to get into their lives. But if you are not faithful in unrighteous mammon, if your heart is not trained in faithfulness with the little you have, you will not be given the true riches. Lastly, he says, if you are not faithful in that which is another man's, who will give you your own? Wow. If you are not faithful in that which is another man's, who will give you your own? You know, I believe that the Lord is showing us, he's trying to help us to uproot thorns from our hearts. You know, there is a death, and I mean D-E-A-T-H. There is a death that you go through when you serve others that will help you train your heart more than anything else you can ever do. <laughs> there is a death that the Lord will allow you to go through when you faithfully serve others that will help you train your heart 
more than anything else you could ever do. You know, there are a lot of us, a lot of people who say, God, I want to have my own business. And it's good to have your own business. I believe it's a blessing. And you're praying and you're praying and you're praying. But then he just keeps giving you the opportunity to serve somebody else. I said, no, I don't want to serve someone. I want to have my own business. And then you launch out. Because, you know, Chandai, got to have my own business. But then it just keeps leading you to serve somebody else. Yes, you will have your own business. But there are certain deaths that you must go through. You know, Jesus said, except a kind of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. And if it dies, it brings forth much. It brings forth what? Say it again. It brings forth what? It brings forth what? It brings forth what? Much fruit. So God wants us to have what? Much fruit. But to have much fruit, the seed must be planted and must do what? And when Jesus said this, he was talking about himself, wasn't he? Now, if the Lord would lead Jesus through that path, do you think he would lead you through a different one? Oh, Christ has delivered me from the path of death. Hallelujah. Praise him. Yes, he has, but he will lead you through it. As you identify with his death, you identify with his what? Resurrection. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So I believe that there's a kind of death that you go through when you serve others that helps train your heart uh, more than anything else. And the Bible says that if you are faithful in that which is another's, the Lord will do what? He'll do what? He will give you your own. You know, there's a difference between the Lord giving you your own and you taking your own. There are a lot of people that, that are, are fed up waiting with the Lord giving them their own, that they do what? They take their own. And you know, when you take your own, what happens is that um, because you have not learned what the Lord wanted you to learn by serving, you would inflict on the others that follow you the lack of learning that you have received or you have not received in learning. <laughs> are you with me? And that's when Absalom said, I would, if I were the king, if I were the king, oh man, I'm going to tell you some great stories next week. Make sure you come next week. It's a storytelling day. He said, if I were the king, I will do this. So he took that which was not given to him. And what happened? His head hung on a branch. And Joab faithfully helped him uh, separate both. Okay? It is the path of death when you are not given. When you take what you are not given. Now, now, now uh, it's not like I'm encouraging a life of passivity uh, or no ambition or no desire or no traction. But you know, God wants us to live a life of grace. Hallelujah. When he gives you your own. You know, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 2.26, it says, for God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to a man who is good in his sight. But to the sinner, he gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. Hallelujah. Do you want to be given the task of gathering and collecting? Or do you want to be given wisdom, knowledge, and joy? Do you want to be empowered with grace? When you serve faithfully in the place that God has called you to serve, when it is time to give you your own, the Lord will open a door that no man can shut. He will shut doors that no man can open. He will empower you with grace and with glory. And because it is he that is honoring you, no man can bring you down. 
Amen. You know, when you serve another faithfully, and the Lord gives you grace, the Lord will open doors for you that may look short, but on the inside you know that this is what he has opened, and you will, you will fight the good fight of faith, and you will walk into the impossible. You will learn how to discern the doors that he has shot. You know, there's some opportunities that come up that look great and wonderful. But because you have, you have died to self-ambition, it is not opportunities to make money that excites you. It is opportunities to fulfill purpose. So there might be a wide open door. As you move toward that door, on the inside, he lets you know he has shut that door. And you will turn away because you have trained your heart to follow him. Are you with me? Is someone listening to me this morning? It is not every open door that you walk through. It is not every shut door that you turn away from. Hallelujah. But when your heart is possessed by advancing the kingdom and fulfilling the will of God and advancing righteousness and receiving only what your faith can receive and what God gives you, then even if a door is shut to you and he says, this is what I've given you, you will push through it by faith and you will apprehend that which God has ordained for you. Hallelujah. This is living the high life. This is living the high life. You will never be a great leader in any capacity if you are not a great follower. The ability to follow is cultivated in the death of service. Hallelujah. Because the Lord will put you with people that men you could do better than. Are you with me? But he wants you to learn. And that was why David became such a great leader. Because the Lord knew what he was doing when he put him under Saul. And because David took the opportunities and he learned, the Lord um, exalted him. And he became the greatest king of Israel. Elisha could, only do, could go twice as far as Elijah because he served him from his heart. Joshua led the people into the promised land only because he served Moses faithfully. You know, uh, there's a scripture that really jumps out at me. You know, the Lord told Moses to come up uh, to get the, the commandments and uh, Joshua was with him. And he got halfway and told Joshua to wait for him. And he went ahead into uh, the presence of God. And Joshua was sitting there for 40 days. Just sitting there for 40 days. What was he doing? He was dying. <laughs> he was learning to be faithful. He was sitting there for 40 days. I mean, a person that can wait for someone for 40 days is someone who, is, who has gone through death. Because after the first week, and then the second week, and you complain, and then you keep quiet, and you just sit down. Meanwhile, the same 40 days, Aaron was making a golden calf for the people. That's why Aaron didn't lead the people into the promised land. Joshua did. Yeah? The Lord knew what he was doing. The Lord will lead you uh, through a place of service. Because in that place of service, there'll be a death to self and ambition. And then the Bible says that if you are, if you are united with him in the likeness of his death, then you also you be united in him with him in the likeness of his resurrection. 
And if the same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead dwells in you, he will raise you up. I said he will raise you up. He will what? Do you know resurrection always comes from God, not from us? Have you noticed that in the Bible? It is God that raises people up. They don't raise themselves up. All we can do properly is to submit to death. And then he will come and raise you up. Are you with me? He will raise you up. He will raise you up by his life. He will raise you up by his grace. Hallelujah. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, um, was a, um, a German activist and theologian. I mean, his writings are incredible writings. Um, he made a statement, and I really need to bring this to a close this morning. He said, when the Lord calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's old English. If I was put in new English or modern English, it would say that when the Lord calls a man, the Lord is calling you to a place of death to self so that you'll be raised up a new life. Amen. Raised up a new life. God wants us to live his life. And uh, Dietrich, in one of his books, outlines four areas where the Lord would lead you through a place of death. Number one is death to um, natural relationships. Death to natural relationships. Or, or should I put it this way and say, death to the lordship of natural relationships. You can't live the life of God if your relationships uh, have more priority than the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Death to natural relationships. However dear the relationships may be, they are not to be put ahead of the Lord. Amen. However dear the relationships may be, they must not be put ahead of the Lord. Yeah, the Bible says that Eve gave Adam who was with her. Now, what would have happened if Adam had said, um, girl, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, I ain't eating. He may have saved her life. I don't know. But he certainly would have saved us or saved his life. Something would have happened different from the way the story went. Are you with me? All right. Amen. The Bible says that um, wives should submit to their own husbands as, as who? Unto the Lord. Amen. The Lord must come between you and your husband, Chandai. Yeah. The Lord must come between you and your husband. You say, yes, we are one flesh. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, there's some decisions that you respectfully say to your husband that, you know what, this does not honor the Lord. Yeah, let's think about it again. Are you with me? Just because you're submissive doesn't mean you, you keep quiet. You're meant to speak up. Praise God. Oh, it's a bit quiet in this church this morning. You're meant to speak up in love, but you're meant to speak up. You're not meant to be quiet. You're meant to speak up. Hallelujah. The word helpmate in the Hebrew is the, is the Hebrew word lifesaver. Everyone say lifesaver. If you're married, you are a lifesaver for your husband. If you don't speak up, there are some decisions we make that will lead us both into death. Okay? You're a lifesaver. Okay. Praise the Lord. 
So there's a death to natural relationships. Christ must step between you and every relationship. Amen. Yes, we're meant to honor our governments, but there are places where as a child of God, uh, you say to your government, you are doing the wrong thing. Yeah. If the government says that we've decided that churches should not meet anymore, we will still meet. Say, we love you, but we are going to meet. Because there are some things that are legal, but are not moral. There are some things that are legal in society, but they are against the law of God. We obey God rather than men. Amen. Hallelujah. So number one is death to natural relationships. Number two is death to success. Where success becomes Lord. Dietrich said, success is a veneer that covers the emptiness of the soul. How can we overcome the world if we embrace its passion for success at any cost? We must lay our cherished dreams at the feet of our crucified Savior. You must be able to decide that if I can't have it by faith, I don't want it. Yeah, There should be nothing that you must have at all costs. If I cannot have this success by faith and by doing the right thing, I don't want it. You need to be able to make that decision in your heart. Your heart is not going to have success at all costs. You don't want success at all costs. You only want the success that honors God. You need to make that decision. Otherwise, Satan and the lure of wealth and the deceitfulness of riches will take over your life and lead you to destruction. Number three is death to the flesh. Death to the flesh. Trust in God and having faith in God's way of doing things. And trusting that that way is actually better for us. Death to the flesh. Any part of our lives that we rescue from the cross becomes the seat of our struggles. Death to the flesh will always, the flesh, given into the flesh and the dictates of the flesh would always lead to greater death. And lastly, as I've said, death to the love of money. Understand that the only money we'll ever see again is that which we use to help others. Hallelujah. The only money we'll ever see again is that which we use to serve others. That's the only money that will go with us to eternity. So this morning, we we just looked at our hearts again and how God wants us to be fruitful. But we cannot be fruitful if anything else takes priority over the Lord in our hearts. It would always lead to death. It would always lead to death. And the Lord will lead us through a path of faithfulness to give us the opportunity to, to learn, to follow him. Even when you have little, be faithful in it. Let the work that he has blessed you with right now speak about the goodness of God and, and your trust in God. Let, let the work of your hands speak about your faith in God as being more than enough for you. It doesn't matter how small it is. Be faithful in little. Train your heart. Use it as an opportunity to train your heart. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. Be faithful in unrighteous mammon. Every money that comes into your hand, kneel before the Lord and honor the Lord with it. Be faithful in your giving. Be faithful in arms. Be faithful in good works. Let your money speak concerning the fact that you are faithful to God and you honor him. You are training your heart when you do that. Don't wait for the big deal to be faithful in giving to the cause of Christ. And lastly, be faithful in that which is 
another man's. It's, the most dif- it's one of the most difficult things that will be required of you. It might be in the church where you feel you're smarter than the leadership. It might be in your office when you feel you're smarter than your boss or smarter than the CEO. He says, be faithful in that which is another man's because he's going to use that person to train you to trust him, even in that kind of situation. And that is going to bear fruit unto eternal life. And when you have proven yourself faithful, you are going to go through in every single um, aspect of these, whether it's faithful in little, faithful in unrighteous mammon, or faithful in that which is another's, you would have, you will go through a period of death. Because when you give that money, you will think your life is over. How am I going to ever make ends meet? Like the, like the widow of Zarephath. When you are faithful in little, it will be like nobody is appreciating me. Even though I gave all this time, I, I, I was able to excellently produce this work. But no one is acknowledging what I've done. You will go through a period of death. When you serve that which is another man's, the other man may even be trying to kill you. Like Saul tried to kill David. You will always go through that period of death. In your heart, something will die. But what is dying are those thorns that you have planted. What is dying are those ways of the world that you have planted. And you are given access to the Spirit of God to come and raise you from the dead. And when he raises you from the dead, you will never die again. You will be raised by the power of an endless life. You will be honored and exalted like Christ was exalted. And much glory will come to your life and come to the Lord as a result of what you have done. Hallelujah. And this is how we walk in the life of God and in the power of the new covenant.